3: Let's talk hoops, let's talk crossovers, let's talk downs, let's talk hoops, let's talk rumor, let's talk opinions, let's talk truth, let's talk future, let's talk present, let's talk past, fundamentals and flash, me running the flow, stay go, running the show like a young Steve Nash, I'd like to welcome all of you to the
2: Great Point Podcast.
0: This is Adam Stanko. I host the Great Point Podcast, and today we've got uh, a combined podcast. This isn't just the Great Point Podcast. This is this is uh, a roundtable NBA preview. Chris Axman, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Almighty Ballin'. He's part of Almighty Ballin' at the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Chris, welcome into the pod. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Happy to be here. Excited to have you and Tim Tompkins also joining us at Radio Tim NBA. He is part of the Drive and Dish podcast. Tim, glad to have you on here as well. What's up, gentlemen? I'm so excited. Oh, and we just added uh, another caller to the podcast.
4: (laughs) Uh, Hey guys, I'm on an airplane. This is Oliver.
0: Oliver, Oliver, (laughs) Oliver on an airplane. Oliver why don't you introduce yourself we're already live
4: oh wow this is great hey how's it going guys Oliver Baroni of Basketball Insiders how's it
0: going (laughs) good Oliver thanks for coming on better now it's good to have you and and so we've got Chris Axman on the podcast we've got Tim Tompkins and I have not yet introduced coach Nick at b-ball breakdown of course the b-ball breakdown podcast coach Nick Welcome to this show. That's uh, now up in the air as well. I've never done a podcast with someone who's who's on an airplane, but but Coach Nick, good to have you on here as well.
2: Thank you, Mister Stanko. I, I appreciate it.
0: All right, so so guys, obviously the first question I think we have to to start with is the Golden State Warriors, and I know we're probably all all sick on a certain level of talking about them, but you know people have talked about hey, if this was fantasy basketball that these moves wouldn't be allowed you know the the addition to Kevin Durant and even Zaza Pachulia if this was um you know a video game then you know it, it wouldn't go through or you know the Hollinger trade machine you know a, any way that you want to put it this Warriors roster would not be able to be assembled except it did happen in in real life so Chris I just want to start with you what do you think could keep these Warriors from winning a title
3: well, so I think that there's external thing. Well, there's one external thing in that flipper on, but internally Ethan Sherwood Strauss just had a great article about Draymond Green and just some of the contentious relationships within the organization, some uh, potential blips on the whole, on the radar. And I think so Draymond for me is a big question mark as far as whether this Warriors team will come full circle and then injuries. I mean, We weren't sure whether or not Steph Curry was going to even be in the NBA at this point. He had serious injuries early on in his career, and Kevin Durant missed two years recently because of a really serious foot issue. So I feel like, you know, if it comes around to the NBA finals and Draymond is upset because he's been only averaging 10 points a game, or if Steph Curry is out because his ankles are messed up, or you know, even if it's just back spasms like uh, Andre Iguodala had last year, the Warriors could run into this issue. And I feel like, you know, we learned this year that you just can't count out things happening because things happen and 3-1 leads are blown. Kim, what do you think of that?
1: I, I mean, I agree to a certain extent. I, I, I would point out that I, I think that this team is is deep enough to really to, to sustain an injury if of, of that Injury happened to be with Steph Curry, but I, I do worry about their lack of depth at, at the shooting guard position should, you know, Clay Thompson, should something happen with him? Is Ian Clark able to step up uh, in, in that role? Um, but I mean, ab- apart from that, I think teams are just going to try and have to take advantage of, a, of offensive rebounding and try and score in the break against them.
0: Coach Nick, you've you've talked about Steph Curry's defense. You've broken down, you know, what makes the, the Warriors so effective on on offense. You know, Tim was just alluding to it, but but how do you think other teams should attack the Warriors?
2: You know, they're going to have to do what they did, what the Cleveland did in the finals, which was uh, get very, very physical, hope the referees allow them to be physical and knock them off their game. But but the switching thing doesn't necessarily work so well this year because what you might end up having is a point guard on Kevin Durant instead of like uh, you know Harrison Barnes, and that we've already I've seen that in the preseason where the guy is. If whoever the point guard is, is actually playing good defense. His hands up, he's right there, and Kevin Durant just, just shoots it right over him. So I, I don't think I'd be concerned at all with what they're going to do on the offensive end. I think the biggest issue is going to be on defense, and if Coach Kerr wants to go with Durant the power forward, uh, teams should simply go big. I think that, like, the Cantor-Adams um, uh, lineup that, that beat the Spurs last year in the, in the playoffs would give them all sorts of problems because Durant simply doesn't like contact at all. Uh, Down there. And unless he changes his mindset quickly, um, I I would imagine that that's going to be a problem on the offensive boards for them. And, um, you know, they could try and trade three for two, but, you know, I I would think that that would be a real key for other teams.
3: Oliver, your, your thoughts? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Well, in running with that, I think that that's a big part of why Bogut's absence might really be felt because Zaza, for as good as he is, and, I mean, he dropped off last season, but in limited minutes, he shouldn't he's not an elite rim protector in the way that Bogut is. And so now Draymond is really the only good rim protector on the league or on the team rather. And I mean, he's not a center, right? So I I think that sort of is a problem. I mean, now in this, uh, you know, in their starting lineup, I I don't think Zaza is, you know, Hassan Whiteside by any means. And uh, I I think you're asking a, a heck of a lot from Draymond Green on the defensive end. And if he doesn't really revel in being the defensive cog of this Warriors team, then it might piss him off because with such a heavy defensive responsibility, I can't imagine they're going to put the ball in his hands as much as they have in the past. In in terms
0: of that ball distribution, and Oliver, I want to get you to chime in here on the Warriors. You know, Kevin Durant had one game last year in which he didn't score 20 points. So we know he's going to get his. I don't think there's any question um, there might have been locker room issues. You know, we heard about the Draymond stuff. You know, at halftime of you know one game, and, and how everyone was going bananas over it. So, I, I guess the big question is, who do you foresee as having an issue if all of a sudden there aren't enough shots to go around?
4: I think you've got to look at Draymond Green being that guy. I mean, the thing about Draymond Green is uh, his Olympics kind of run with not. What is the pain of it being? Obviously, the game, but he's kind of translated this immaturity, lack of attitude, or awareness, I guess, of what he's doing. And uh, I think it's starting to catch up with him just a little bit. And obviously, we talked about that ESPN article that came out, but there's a lot of reasons to kind of be concerned with Draymond Green. And then, when you think about it, Clay Thompson was a big portion of this offense last year uh will he still be that same same guy this the upcoming season I just don't know uh, there's just a lot of egos to manage and Kerr's gonna have to do an excellent job at trying to figure that all out
0: all right well with that being said Tim how many games do you think they win this year
4: what what are what are they projected for what were the
1: the biggest numbers it was uh, 66.5 um I mean how many teams in the in the league realistically ever ever hit that mark and I I, I Think that they're going to that they're going to lose a lot more games at the beginning of the season while they try and work out lineups that work. Um, and also, I don't think that the Warriors are going to push themselves like they did last season because at the end of the day, they're 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 playing against themselves. They're playing against that that Bulls record. Um, so I I don't see them hitting that that 67 game mark. I think it'll be closer to uh, 63 to 65.
0: Coach Nick, what do you think about how much they may have learned from what happened last year and maybe fatigue playing a part once they hit the finals?
2: Well, you know, it's funny because I was just talking about this with some other people last night, which was you know, you protect these guys, you play them 35 minutes, 34 minutes a game. There's a lot of blowouts in the regular season. The argument could very well be that, that all of a sudden they're not quite in shape to play 40 minutes of a really intense playoff game, and they look tired. So I don't really – it's not very scientific uh, of, a, of an observation of mine, but uh, I, I wonder if that could be part of the issue, uh, you know, if, if that's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with. But uh, certainly, you know, that, we'll have to see. But, you know, I, I agree with what they were saying as far as the number of wins too. It's like I feel like they're going to probably ease the throttle off and, uh, you know, probably like sacrifice a few wins uh, for that arrest. But, again, it's an interesting dilemma because you want them – you know, really tuned up and ready to play intense playoff competition. And it's hard to do that when you're not playing any fourth quarters.
0: Chris, you agree with
3: that? Well, so I guess the way to counter that potential effect of them being out of shape is rather than sitting them for a couple of weeks at a time or something like that, playing all of these stars, you know, at like 25 minutes, you know, on average for all 82 games, And I think that, one, that should keep them in shape. And, two, I think we saw against the Clippers in the preseason that just with, like, eight, ten minutes of that ultra-super-mega-death lineup on the court, you can get a 20-point lead in the first quarter just with that. So I think I might take the over on the Warriors because I just think in in the very first quarter – they're going to find out whether or not they can just stroll to an easy victory because I think a lot of the times without even halftime happening, they're going to know that they're going to win that game because, I mean, what what are you going to do when every possession is a uh, fast break three? Like there there's just no mathematical way to deal with that if you're an opposing team. So uh, I I guess I would be the voice against the consensus that they're going to be under 66.5 because I just think they're... They should get over that easily. Yeah, I, I think it's too easy for it not to happen. And
0: I'll I'll say another thing on that point is that, you know, a lot's been talked about in, in spite of the, the possible depth issues. You're still going to have two or three superstars playing with the second unit. I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that before in the NBA. I mean, you have to start going back and talking about some of the loaded teams from, you know, the Lakers, Celtics in, in the mid-80s when, you know, it didn't matter when the bench guys came in, they're playing with a superstar. And, you know, in this case, I mean, these guys just went through a situation in which they were trying to, you know, set a wins record for the regular season. That's not on their mind. But the other part about this that I find very interesting is that, and I don't think it's been talked about a lot, with Kevin Durant joining the team, all of a sudden now you've added some type of chip on their shoulder. I mean, all great players and great teams are looking for ways they can be motivated you know, we we saw it through the years with Michael Jordan and all the examples he set. But I just think all of a sudden now you took a team that last year won 73 games and now this year they've created this chip on their shoulder that they're the villains, they're the bad guys. And I don't know that we've seen something like that in the league before where all of a sudden they were just given this, not just this great player, this all time great player, but this extra motivation. Tim, your your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it, it, it reminded me of um, Clay responding to uh, when they were called cowards and how upset Clay got about it. Um, and, and I would think that the rest of the team, and including Durant, too, and all the negative publicity he's taken, that they're absolutely going to have a chip on their shoulder. I think that's a valid point.
0: All right. So I just want to go into now some of the other teams in the West. Then I think you have to oh, start out by talking
2: I have, I, sorry, I did have one more point about that, which we mentioned uh, at the loss of the finals. And it's very possible that the way they lost in the house, Steph Curry, you know, did some of the boneheaded turnovers. I'm hoping you know, for the Warriors' sake that that would at least inspire a bit of a conversation between the coaching staff and, and Steph Curry and maybe the, the whole team in general to, to once and for all eliminate the stupid turnovers. And that, that could be their one hope is that out of all that, out of the tragedy or the tragedy or the, whatever you want to call it for the, their loss, uh, that might actually be a positive if that, the conversation was had. And, you
0: know, it was something that Steve Kerr talked about in press conference after press conference, the idea that the team had to cut down on turnovers. It obviously came back to Burnham late. Um, so as far as the Spurs go, we're talking about a team last year that won 67 games set a franchise win record and still somehow flew under the radar because of the season that the Warriors had. They lost Tim Duncan, added Pau Gasol. So, Chris, how much different will they be from, from last year?
3: Well, I mean, I think on court, they should be better. Uh, I, I think offensively, Pau is just better than Tim Duncan was last year. Defensively, I think that – The Spurs did a really good job of putting Tim in a position where he never had to overextend. And pretty much as long as uh, Danny Green and Kawhi effectively funneled opposing players towards Tim, you know, it it was an easy contest and an easy rebound. So Powell should be able to do that. I don't know whether they'll be better or worse, because I just think that that culture impact, you know, quote unquote... It's just so hard for me to know what that's going to be because, I mean, I, I didn't expect to see any uh, visible degradation in terms of that um, this early, but already there's these weird LaMarcus Aldridge rumors and, you know, we all know that as soon as he left the Blazers, they were a big happy family. You know, now Tim Duncan's not there. Is that going to start be a problem? So, yeah, I I think on court they should be better. And uh, they should be more spread out and they should be able to play better small ball lineups too. But I just, I don't know what the cultural impact of the whole Tim Duncan thing is.
0: Oliver, our correspondent from the airplane.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the Spurs are going under the radar. I mean, when you look at it this way, every time Popovich has ever been under the radar, when people aren't talking about yeah. them, they end up performing at an extremely high level, so I I look for this team to to be better on the court, even with these Aldridge rumors. This this plays right into Pop's hands. Uh, I I like what they're doing. I think Patty Mills is going to be superb this year. Um, the Danny Green injury is a little bit scary, but other than that, I mean you've got to expect these Spurs. This Spurs team is not ten wins less. Uh, I think it's what the the Vegas under over under was. I like what the Spurs are going to be this year. I think they'll be a two or three seed, depending on how the Clippers play this season. But uh, I, I, I
0: Tim, your thoughts on the Spurs? I
1: mean, I, I just think that the addition of uh, Pal Gasol and losing Tim Duncan that that just changes their identity so fundamentally from being a, a defensive focus team to an offensive uh focused team and i uh, i mean one of the great gifts of of Pau Gasol is really um his passing and i i do think that a lot of people harp on Pau Gasol for for his defensive abilities but i do think that that is uh it's it's a bit overstated how bad of a defender uh Pau Gasol is um and you know i, I do think that uh Patty Mills low key has been kind of a a better point guard at at some points than tony parker recently i just i think i think seeing seeing it on court will will really tell us a lot and i i do think this is going to change them fundamentally defensively at how they defend the three-point line about how they run their offense and um i i'm high on the spurs but i mean at the end of the day who can can they beat the warriors i mean i i just my, my entire problem with this season that we have right now is i feel like it's so predetermined um, and it it kind of loses some of the uh, some of the intrigue, at least over in the West. No.
3: Yeah,
0: you could have waited till the end of the podcast to mention that, so that people didn't. Yeah, just I sure pick could off, have. My bad. But... <laughs> Coach Nick, what do you think about that? Can the Spurs beat the Warriors in a, a seven game playoff?
2: Well, the strange thing about last year we did some breakdowns was that the starters kind of went old school '90s ISO ball. And then when the the, the the bench came in, they were doing all the beautiful game stuff. And that was very much of a dichotomy and kind of troubling to me. And the good news is, is that going through some of their uh, their offense this year with Powell, there's a lot of triangle, there's a lot of the beautiful game motion with the starters. So that's that's good. Um, and I suspect that they'll be able to, you know, be the, the efficient machine that they normally are on offense. But, you know, Powell Gasol on defense is really a troubling thing. And it's been that way for a long time. And the only question is, can they somehow score enough to offset the issues that they're going to deal with? And I just don't feel great about that at all. Uh, And Danny Green is hurt to start the season, and that's obviously their, I guess, their second-best defender, certainly on the perimeter. So uh, I don't see where the defense is going to be good enough for them to really compete uh, deep into the West. It's just too deep and too hard and too many teams. And you know, uh, that, that, so I, I have very I have reservations, but I, at the very least in the in the regular season, I would expect their same you know excellent standards to to uh, to work. It's just you know in that second round, that third round, I don't know. I, I don't know if they can defend well enough.
0: You talk about that depth in the West. So Chris, I I toss this question to you: Who do you think behind the the Warriors and then and then the Spurs? Who's next in line in in the West? Who should we be talking about?
3: Um. I, I'm not sure, I I guess the Clippers are the obvious answer, but I, you know, I'm I'm not sure why they could possibly be better than the Warriors, so, I mean, if, if you're already, if the first next contender up, right, you're already saying, well, something ridiculous would have to happen, it's, it's almost like at that point, you know, what is a contender even, because if you know 29 other nba arenas exploded philly would win a championship next year um <laughs> and you, you can't like you can't put that into the equation i guess uh the rockets i think will be better than people realize i think that people are are dealing with the seeing that their offense is going to be so good and seeing that their defense won't be as good and assuming that that means, well, if they have good offense and their defense isn't as good, it means that they have bad defense. But I think the reality for the Rockets is that they have a really good offense and just like a meh defense, like they'll be OK. Um, but uh, I, I, I certainly hear uh, from a lot of people who I trust and have smart basketball opinions that they think the Rockets defense is just going to be deplorable. I don't expect that. But, yeah, I mean, it's something you have to uh, factor in.
0: Tim, your thoughts about who else is is uh, a potential player. Assume that Warriors and and Spurs are in another class by themselves.
1: Yeah, I, I I mean I I do agree that I think that the the Clippers are that that obvious next choice right there. I mean, they just have the star power and, and not just the star power. I mean, they they have a really good coach in Doc Rivers and apart from that, the, the they've been playing together. For a while and i think that there is added value to uh teams that keep their their cores together i am i am a little bit worried um when it when it comes to the rockets I, I do think that the rockets on during the regular season are going to be a really good regular season team i do think that this is probably the best year for that starting lineup that the rockets have so the you know, long-term projections i'm not as high on them but i do worry about the rockets when it comes down to to half
2: court sets and how that's going to work out in the postseason coach nick uh, you know, I think the team that everyone needs to be talking about is the Utah Jazz. They, what they did in the off season uh, to add to a team that won forty eight games already uh, has been pretty impressive. You're talking about adding Joe Johnson, George Hill, um, and Boris um, d l to a team that was already developing and doing well. Now they had some injury stuff to start the season, but I'm telling you, uh, they have a really good coach. I mean, I would I would say that Quinn Snyder is a better coach than Doc Rivers. And I think that they, you know, the only unfortunate thing was they lost a damn Kobe game last year at the end of the season. And that cost them the playoffs, I believe. If they had just had that first round playoff experience, I'd feel really good about them. But I'm telling you, I think people are sleeping on them and uh, they go, they go 10 deep. They really do. And it's like, I, I, you know, I know the West is brutal as well, but these are the guys I'm going to have fun watching. And I anticipate them surprising a lot of people.
3: Well, so can I actually ask Coach Nick a question here? Sure. Of course. When the game grinds down, do you, do you put Gordon Hayward on the level that he can just make something happen and just somehow get the ball in the basket for uh, the Jazz on the same level of a guy like James Harden? I mean, because that's my problem. Like, what, like how, how do they make it work when nothing else is working? And it seems like in the past, they haven't been able to do that. And I'm not sure anything has changed in that regard.
2: Oh, well, it's not Gordon Hayward that's going to need to do that. It is my man, um, uh, uh, oh, my goodness, Rodney Hood. He is the guy huh, I think is okay. prepared to start to do well. He's He showed signs. If you watched the Jazz from last year, there were times when he took over, and he would ISO and, like, just create shots. Plus, he hops on almost all of his jump shots, which is, you know, we're going to put him right on top of my list either way. But I'm telling you, I think <laughs> that guy is going to develop – uh into a, a go-to scorer and is going to blossom this year. So, you know, because I, I think that, you know, I like Gordon Hayward, but I don't think he's as good as what other people, you know, might might think he is. I think he's got a ceiling and I think we've seen that ceiling already. But I think that Rodney Hood is the guy who can post up, he can now put the ball on the floor, he can certainly shoot. Um, I think he's the guy.
3: Yeah,
1: can, no, can I ask so you guys I, a question about the uh about the Gordon Hayward injury? Um and, and Coach Nick, this might be more of a question for you, but um uh, he has a, a fractured um fourth meniscus, I think it is. Uh how much do you expect that to impact his, his shooting once he is able to even uh take the court throughout the course of the season?
2: Yeah, that's gonna be a tough one. That, that's it's on his shooting hand, right? Before I can say anything? Yeah.
1: I, I believe it's and, on his uh, right yeah. side, I
2: believe. fourth fourth metacarpal. There you go. Right. So it's like the Jones fracture of the hand. Um yeah, it's um, you, you know, it will no no doubt be a problem, and I'm sure it'll there might be numbness as well or something as it's healing and the weakness. So yeah, it that will be a problem. I mean, I will, let's put it the other way. I would be shocked if he came back and was like had a stroke going right away. That said, if they are really precautious and like really keep him out for a, an extended long time, maybe let's say they're doing well, right? Like they they already have a decent amount of guards. If they're doing well and they can keep him out an extra uh, three, four weeks, and maybe okay, then maybe he can come back and, and he'll be as good as new. But there's no question that you know once that cast comes off or whatever, and he's going to get back on the court, uh, there's going to be uh, weeks and weeks where he's going to have to get that strength back up. It's going to be a problem.
0: I wanted to ask uh, Oliver up in the sky if he's still with us. Um, we are battling the elements. You in the sky. I got this horde of dogs right, right, uh, running through my house. Um, which young team should we be talking more about in the, in the Western conference?
4: I think, uh, I mean, obviously Houston has been a big, I'm a big believer in Houston and what they're doing. I love the coaching staff that they have, uh, the player development staff that they have. Uh, I just like what they've pieced together this off season, but then another team that I really like is the new Orleans Pelicans. People aren't talking about this team, but, when you look at Anthony Davis, uh, he's going to be ready to go over. They got Buddy Heal. They've got some other pieces as well. I just, I like that team. Terrence Jones, to me, was the offseason signing of the summer just based on the dollars that he was given.
3: Yeah, so we talked I, about I love him.
4: what the Pelicans are doing. So that would be my team.
3: Chris, go ahead. Oh no! I was just saying, um, Oliver on my show in the past we've talked about uh, Terrence Jones as a small ball five being an interesting option,
0: for sure. I I had a question for you guys. I mean, Anthony Davis is just brought up, and uh, I guess we could start with you, Chris. Um, you know, we we've been talking about it for the last two years. I want to say that that he's going to be a guy that's that you know Mount Rushmore that that upper echelon top tier guy. Uh, obviously, injuries have played a part in that, and um, you know. But we've seen—I I don't know—we're we're still waiting to see what Anthony Davis can become. We all know about the potential that's there, and we've certainly seen it at times. What kind of year are you expecting out of Anthony Davis?
3: Um, well, I, I I'm not expecting anything because I just think that I don't know whether or not he's going to be on the court. The Pelicans are owned by the same owners of the New Orleans Saints and uh an interesting fact about the Pelicans is that their training staff is just the Saints training staff. They just basically export their training staff from the Saints into the Pelicans. And what that's meant is first that there's been horrific injury problems up and down the roster and uh, I mean Tyreek Evans like who knows on that? Quincy Pondexter's been mishandled as far as his injuries. And, and, I mean Anthony Davis has been playing with several really bad injuries. I just feel like their training staff, it's so low tech that I just don't know how, you know, it's like, they're the type of trainers who are like, you know, put another couple of 45s on that bench press instead of like, you know, the warriors when, when they're light years ahead, you know, training in pools and, you know, not on treadmills, but underwater. So there isn't extra pressure on your knees and, having uh, electronics uh, attached to your nodes so that you can keep track of how fatigued you are. So I I just, it sucks, but I just think Anthony Davis is, you know, we, we'll see him a little bit, hopefully a lot for the next few years. And then we can really see him take off once he's on a different team or once the Pelicans ownership gets it together. Tim. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think
1: last year when the GM survey came out that, what was it like 86% of GM said that if they had one player to start a franchise with, that it would be Anthony Davis. And then you look at it this year, obviously Carl Anthony Towns took the reign on that, but I don't think he, Anthony Davis was even in the top four. I believe he was in the top five, but just what a difference one year can make. I, I did forget about that with the, uh, with the Pelicans, um, using the football team's trainers and, and how much of an impact. I mean, you look at Davis and it, it doesn't seem to be recurring injuries. Uh, it it, it seems to be just one different, you know, fractured left hand, an ankle problem, back spasm, um, a right hip strain, a sore left knee, a sprained ankle, just one thing after another. But again, I I, I do think that Anthony Davis, is he feels like he has a a chip on his shoulder uh, comparable to how the Warriors do. And he has a lot to prove this year, and I think he's going to do it.
0: I want to move to the Eastern Conference for a moment, and that is starting with the Cavs. Um, Pretty remarkable. ESPN conducted, you know, survey of their 28 quote-unquote experts and all 28 pick the Cavs to win the East um just remarkable that you wouldn't even have one outlier that would go out on a limb in in one capacity or another so coach Nick I want to start this with you if there is a challenger just to the Cavs in the East who would that be
2: you know that's a really good question um you know like, let's see here it's it's a weird east at this point because i I always feel felt like the um the Raptors had you know a feeling as well, and I know that they kind of made it to the conference finals and you know fizzled out a little bit and so and their team is different this year too, so I don't know, I feel like they're they're not the people that could that could knock them off um you know, you could go Celtics, you know they got some experience in the playoffs now, and they have a nice young core that can play some defense. So I probably have to go with them. Although, let me say this, and I haven't done enough film study, but I did start to do some Hawks look, at, look at them, and with the way they have Dwight moving in the offense, and he seems to be blending in really well. Uh, they've gotten back to what I like so much about their offense and their play from two years ago when they surprised everybody and had, I think, it was it three All Stars, and they were beating a lot of people. So they might be the only outside you know uh, team that I could see giving them a fight. Um, because of how Dwight seems to be like accepting how he should be playing on offense, which is cut down the post-ups, pick and roll, high post action, that stuff is great. But uh, so, you know, I'd have to go, yeah, with those two, I had to go to Celtics and, and then my dark horse is the Hawks.
0: Oliver up there in the sky. Anybody else?
4: Uh, I think I'm actually with coach Nick on this. Uh, both of those picks are just solid. I think the Celtics give them the most problems. Uh, just based on like what the Cavaliers had said earlier this off season, like every game was a different set. Uh, they had tons of different rotations. It was really, really hard to kind of figure out for the Cavaliers and James Jones, Kyrie Irving. There were a ton of guys that were quoted in saying this was uh, one of the dip- most difficult teams they played against in the playoffs. So I think that the Boston Celtics have an advantage there, coaching wise too. Brad Stevens, coach. I think he's a top-five coach in the NBA. And then you, you talk about the Atlanta Hawks, Dwight Howard. I mean, he's he looks rejuvenated. He looks like he's a different player this offseason. Played with a lot more intensity. Looks like he's got a role in this offense and, and way more of an opportunity here with Mike Budenholzer, who's also an underrated coach. So I, I like both those picks. I can't really
3: go against them.
0: Chris, you got anyone else you'd like to throw in the mix?
3: Um. I guess just briefly on the Hawks, I think that that's an interesting pickup for a team that has been swept by the Cavaliers for, I think, two years in a row now because I I think that probably LeBron still wakes up, you know, having nightmares about that Orlando team that really kind of shut him down in terms of him being able to get into the basket because of Dwight's presence. And, I mean, he he was the LeBron stopper before – uh, before Kawhi and before Iguodala so it's an interesting idea I, I, I don't think they're going to be able to put it together and maintain uh, a high enough level of play my team for the East to watch is the Celtics and not because of the roster right now but because I think teams and uh, analysts have just started to underrate the absurd amounts of stuff that they have in their war chest and They could really pull off a couple of moves and there's so many stars that could be potentially aligning for them. The Kings should be atrocious. Like, so maybe DeMarcus cousins, the bulls, maybe Jimmy Butler's on the move when they look like they're bad. I, I, I'm, I don't think the Pacers are going to be in the playoffs this year. So maybe Paul George, Uh, maybe Anthony Davis demands a trade, John wall and Beal. I could go on, you know, uh, and Millsap and the Hawks. So, I think that there's a distinct possibility that the Celtics pull off, you know, a handful of trades all in succession that bring in such significant stu- superstar talent that they become contenders even without the uh without the offseason to put a system together. Tim
1: Um I, I mean I do I do like that point about the Celtics and that they really have enough um, they have enough assets that if, if they do make a midseason move that they're one of the teams most likely to do so. So, you know, you have to factor that into the equation, but um, I, I think it's worth pointing out with the Raptors that, you know, they brought in Demari Carroll last year who barely played. He was injured pretty much the whole thing um, and, and that the Raptors are pretty much bringing that core back together and, uh, you know, not to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I do think that there is value in, in teams that are bringing back their cores. And speaking of other teams, I think the Pistons played them really well um in the playoffs and that they they're really well coached. Um and you know, yeah, I, I I do think the Pistons are a bit underrated uh when it when it comes to Eastern teams.
0: Yeah, I mean the year that Andre Drummond had was just phenomenal. I think it also flew under the radar when you're talking about guys that I mean basketball people knew but but just the mainstream folks uh didn't get to hear a lot about so Certainly. Uh, there's been questions, though, about whether Reggie Jackson can be a permanent guy at, at the point guard position for the Pistons. Tim, what do you think about about him long-term?
1: I mean, I, I think long-term, it, it good. It, it looks good. If you just look at his per 36 numbers, he's up there with the, uh, the lead. I, I do worry about that injury and what they're going to do to start off the season. My understanding is is that he's going to miss the first eight games or so, and I don't think that's enough for the Pistons really to move to play a um, a panic move and, and make a trade for another point guard. They do have Ish Smith in the backcourt. Ish Smith isn't, you know, a starting caliber point guard, but as long as he can keep the ship afloat. Uh, but I think as far as Reggie Jackson goes, I mean, you know, who else are you going to go out there and, and get that's available? Maybe Rubio this season, but I, I, I'm not in the camp that I think that uh, Rubio is going to be available. I mean, I'm I'm pretty high on Reggie Jackson.
3: And I, I I think it's telling that they moved on from Ray McCallum yesterday. Uh, I I think that if they were really, really concerned about Reggie missing a lot of time, then that wouldn't have happened. No, that's a really good point too.
0: Yeah, that is, that is a good point. Coach, coach Nick. um, Great point. It's a great point. I didn't want to uh, throw out a, uh, (laughs) an advertisement mid podcast. I'm sure I'll already get hit with one that uh, when these things get posted. I, I did want to ask Coach Nick though about, about the Knicks. Um, I know that, you know, obviously they they got a lot of pub for for you know the the roster that they've now put together with Joe Kim Noah and, and Derek Rose and and then Derek Rose's uh civil trial. Um so there's been a lot of attention on the Knicks as always, and then of course Stapps Porzingis and Carmelo. I'm just curious though, if this team were to stay healthy under Jeff Hornacek, what what kind of potential can we realistically foresee?
2: I don't see them doing much better than uh, you know, the the ceiling to me is like oh my goodness. Fourth seed, fifth seed, they lose in the first round. That seems to me where they're at. Uh I just don't like what I've seen of Derrick Rose in the offense. The irony is that I like Brandon Jennings. When they've been running the triangle, which they have now gone away from after probably spending an inordinate amount of time in the in the uh training camp. To, to learn it and then they kind of go away from it and then the the, the uh, bench players come in and run it almost exclusively it's a very strange team and I don't think they understand exactly what they want to do we're all on the same page either so um I you know I, I have caught uh, uh some drives by Derek Rose for wild shots meanwhile Miller was standing all by himself on the perimeter waiting for the pass like that ain't gonna fly uh very long if that happens in the regular season so you know, I, I would say, like, if they could get it together and suddenly Courtney Lee is, like, a dynamic, you know, defender on the wing and they can knock down some threes and, you know, you have Melo uh, having a career year. Uh, yeah, you could, you know, you could get in the playoffs. And, you know, I don't think they – I don't know. They would probably struggle to even get a home court advantage, but uh, I just don't see them getting much farther than that, like, that first round.
0: Anyone else want to weigh in on the Knicks?
3: I can't figure out the Knicks. I don't know. <laughs> It seems uh, is, about... is there
1: any truth to is there any truth to Brandon Jennings uh, becoming the starting point guard halfway through the season? I haven't watched enough Knicks preseason, but I've I just I've heard that floated
2: around all over the the basketball Twitter. Same, really? Because I I've been thinking that for the last two weeks, but I haven't tweeted it. But you know that someone else must be seeing the same thing I am.
3: Yeah, no, I I I said earlier that uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned that um, you know when I hear something from smart basketball people, it makes me doubt my own opinions. And uh, I've heard from smart basketball people that that's something that the Knicks are considering. Although, yeah, my initial instinct is that the Knicks wouldn't ask him to do that. And I mean that uh, they wouldn't ask Derek Rose to go to the bench, but I mean, if Derek Rose accepted that bench role, I mean, would he be good as like a Jordan Crawford type guy?
2: Well, Jamal, or Jordan Crawford or Jamal Crawford? Oh, Jamal, Jamal, yeah. <laughs> maybe more of a Jordan. Yeah, same <laughs> I, I think he'd be more like Jordan. Because <laughs> Jamal Crawford can shoot, like he can really shoot from distance. Uh, you know, this is not something that Derrick Rose can do.
3: Uh, I guess just like a microwave guy off the bench. Uh, I don't
2: know. I, maybe. Uh, yeah, Jamal, no, I, mean, I, 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 I don't think me, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, um, how much, like, how much contract year play into it? You know, like the, the he's on a contract year with the with the Knicks. Obviously, uh, they they traded Lopez to get him. Um, how much does that factor into whether or not they would move him to a bench role? Whether or not he's most suited there?
3: Yeah, and I mean, like the Bucks can do things like put Greg Monroe off the bench because they're in Milwaukee. If Greg Monroe had gone to the Knicks and they had put their superstar Greg Monroe. You know Nike sneakers, who he doesn't have now because he's in Milwaukee and he's Greg Monroe. But you know, it's I just it's hard for me to imagine that you know the team in Madison Square Garden would put their twenty million guy off the bench. I think that you know the Knicks have shown a propensity to uh, prefer to just lose.
0: (laughs) Chris, you bring up such an interesting.
3: Oh, oh, go ahead,
0: Tim.
1: I was just going to say. Well, thankfully they have um, Jeff Hornacek, who has no problem running multiple guards out there at the same time.
0: You know, that's true. I I was I was just going to say that, um, you know, you bring up a good point, Chris, and that we hear all the time about the the small market teams, um, you know, are at a disadvantage when it comes to signing free agents, what have you. But ultimately, there are built in advantages that you just talked about that, you know, when when it's the Knicks or the Lakers. Have to go through rebuilding phases. All of a sudden, they're dealing with media pressure and pressure from the fans and pressure on SportsCenter every night that the small market teams don't have to deal with whatsoever. They can build at whatever pace or whatever way they sort of want to. I mean, you know, obviously the Sixers' process got a lot of, you know, got a lot of notoriety. But but really, whatever happens in Milwaukee, they can sort of tinker and build things and start to execute a roster for the future any way they they sort of see fit um which i guess brings me to this question for all you guys i guess i'll start with oliver um there are a handful of these teams now the back end of the east and they're all going to seemingly put their rosters together towards the future i mean whether it's the bucks magic sixers heat nets um oliver to you any of those teams stand out in terms of really liking how they're they're sort of assembling their their rosters going forward
4: I actually like a lot of the teams, but if I'm going to pick one in particular, I think the Magic have a good opportunity for the future. Based on like the coaching hire they got, Frank Vogel's a great coach. Um, they have a lot of depth in the front court, and if Aaron Gordon can hit the three, which I don't know if that's possible, but if it is, I, I think they're really, really dangerous um, in the Eastern Conference. They've got a lot of young pieces. Evan Fournier, Mario Resonia, there's a lot of guys who can hit shots. They just need to put it all together.
3: Chris.
0: Same question to you. What do you make of those other teams at the the back end of the East and how they're building their rosters?
3: Oh, my bad. I accidentally turned my microphone off. Um yeah, no, I, I would have said the Orlando Magic there if uh if I was up in that airplane with Oliver too. So um yeah, I I just think, you know, beyond the coaching hire, which is a great pickup and which is also part of why Um, I'm sorry again, Indiana fans that I don't think that the Pacers are going to be very good this year. Um, part of that is because Vogel is a really, really great coach and this defense should be stellar and stellar defensive teams tend to make the playoffs. So, um, I, I think they just sort of need to cobble together an offensive system and they've got enough interesting pieces that they might be able to do it. And one of those is Mario Hazonia. Like Mario has the tools to be a really good defender and has a has that right amount of erraticness in his offensive game that maybe he could create some interesting stuff for this team to go for. Uh, you know, I I don't know. They they need to figure out offense because uh I just Vucic to me, uh he said that he wants to start. I don't I don't like that very much. Um I just think that Bismack Biyaba would just be um, like a a nightmare for opposing teams uh, defensively. So yeah, I mean they've got some question marks, but I think that you know they have a significant ceiling. Tim,
1: uh, I I just I'm so happy that other people agree with me on the Magic. I feel like I've spent the last two months defending uh, the the Magic, and I, I really do think that they uh, they have uh, all the pieces to be an absolute elite defensive team but but one thing that i've been going to that i've kind of been arguing around with people and i I want to throw this out to you guys is is is, is the grit and grind grizzlies of the last couple of seasons is the one thing that they had more offense than the magic have this year
3: yes
0: yeah i would say yes as well (laughs) (laughs)
3: um no but uh, i mean uh, vucevic uh you know, if he becomes a better passer and becomes the best rim protector in the game, it could be like Marcus All.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Marcus, I think I do believe that Booch is a better offensive player than Marcus All. But I, I feel like, as far as if you're talking about perimeter shooting and not just looking at the starting lineup with the Magic, but some of those key reserves you guys were speaking of, whether that's Jeff Green or um, Herzogna or Meeks or DJ Augustine, who's been a pretty competent. Um, backup point guard that I do feel like there's going to be lineups that they're going to be able to play, that Frank Vogel's going to be able to run, where they're going to be able to have that that mix of balance of offense and defense enough to win a lot more games than people think they're going to win this year. Yeah,
0: yeah no, no I, know... I, I, I Go ahead, Chris.
3: <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. I'm... I was uh
0: please. <laughs> I was just going to say about Aaron Gordon that uh um you know you had just brought him up a moment ago and I think this is you know, make or break year for him. We, we, one of the issues I find constantly with, you know, the one and done guys is that all of a sudden, you know, the timeline for their potential, even though they're still so young years wise, the, I, I feel like there's a question of confidence that comes up. And I also feel like, um, I'm just falling in a system and reputation. I mean, we just saw, you know, Mitch McGarry's career is, you know, now looking like it's fizzling out. Um, go up in smoke. A, yeah, yeah. And and I just think with so many of these these uh one-and-done players obviously that the potential is there and Aaron Gordon is such a young guy and has so much talent, incredibly explosive defensively, he can be a complete nightmare. I mean, he can guard, you know, essentially uh, I'd say 2 through 5. I don't know that you're sticking him on point guards, but I just think the guy has so much potential. I just I'm so curious as to this year's team where he fits in and if if he doesn't or if it goes slowly and we, we see continued issues with the jumper, then all of a sudden now, is that is that the end of, of Aaron Gordon? Are we never going to get a chance to see the guy that I think we all believe he could ultimately one day become?
1: Well, he was better after the All-Star break last year, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, but I don't know that we saw ultimately – a guy that's going to be uh he didn't look like a guy that's going to be a consistent starter in the nba at least last year and again i i'm saying i'm i'm rooting for that because i've seen what he can do i saw what he could do while he was at arizona and like i said defensively i think he could just be a complete standout that um arizona sort of churning out like ron hollis jefferson guys like that that i think nba wise can just be elite defenders um guys i wanted um had a thought for an idea to do something I want to call everyone else is saying it, but do you agree with this? And I think we can just go down the list. So if we go, Chris, Tim, coach, Nick, and then Oliver real quickly weigh in on, on your thoughts on these different topics. So first of all, OKC can't hang with the West big boys without KD. That's what people are saying. So Chris, you start us off and then we'll take it from there. <sighs>
3: Um, so I I talked to uh, Andrew from the Down to Dunk podcast for my OKC team preview. And w- what I said is that, you know, when you were a kid, no one except for Internet troll type of people, no one wants to kick the guy who's down, who just got his lunch money beaten up and his holographic Charizard stolen from him by the neighborhood bully. Like no no one wants to just rub dirt in that guy's face. And I I think that the media sort of subconsciously or implicitly kind of wanted to live in a world where the Thunder don't just drop off the map, you know, because it feels better. So I I don't take any pleasure in saying this, but you don't lose a guy like Kevin Durant and just go about business as usual. I I remember when uh, the first year that the Cavs were playing without LeBron James, you know, they were a sixty one win team before he left and you know, the analysts were like, well, you know, they should still be around like the eighth seed, you know, still in the playoffs, like they were such a good team with LeBron, it makes sense. You're only you're only losing one guy, right? Well when that guy's KD or LeBron, it's bad. So yeah, I I I it doesn't feel good to me to say this, but I, I don't think the Thunder are like sniffing a five or a six seed. And honestly I would be a bit stunned if they made the playoffs at all.
4: Uh, I, I
1: think if, if we're looking at the teams in the West that everyone pretty much has the Grizzlies right above, um, well, for the most part, right above the Thunder. And I think with the Grizzlies, if you're looking at them as a team, that, that one injury to one of their key players and they're just a significant drop in, in talent level. And I do think that there's going to be opportunities for the Thunder to be good. What, what I find really intriguing about the Thunder is, is their, their backcourt of, of Westbrook and Oladipo and their frontcourt of, of Cantor and Adams and whether or not those guys can really take a leap this year. Um, Kyle Singler has been fantastic in precincts, and can he keep that up? Do they trade for Rudy Gay? Um, I, I am putting the Thunder in the playoffs, but I'm not giving them home court advantage.
0: Coach Nick?
2: Um, yeah, you know, I, I want to say that they, they'll battle for the A seed, but then I'm looking at their lineup, and I know that... The Twin Towers had a lot of success um, in the playoffs against the Spurs, but I don't know. I mean, I just don't – I'm not buying if it's Robertson and Singler in the starting lineup of a Western Conference team being a threat uh, much at all. So that's that's where I stand on that. Even though Russell, you know, I don't know if he's going to go nuclear, but he certainly is going to, you know, his part <laughs> to, to fill up his stat chart. But we've seen him do that before when KD was injured. And um and they didn't win. They just couldn't put it all together with many of the same pieces. So uh, you know, I would say their their best hope scenario and who knows if I'm uh, this could be way off, but I, I would say that they'll probably compete for like the seventh base spot and um and, and might come up short. But um, I thought you were such a Russell Westbrook fan. <laughs> um I I you know, Russ and I it's complicated, you know, a this is a coach <laughs> relationship no, is always complicated. Uh, I am you know, there are here. some things that, that I do, but uh, that he does well. And, and there are other things that, uh, the Russell Westbrook fans, uh, want to torture me on. And, uh, you know, so yes, I am, uh, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, it's the big, a big, uh, the hugest fan of his game.
3: <laughs> well, and you know, I, I think part of the reason and, uh, you know, for the listeners out there in case you're not, uh, following coach Nick's work first, you should, <laughs> um, and second, uh, he's mentioned that he has questions about Russell Westbrook in the past, and a big part of that is, yeah, you can put Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant up on that superstar shelf if you want, but if you're defining a superstar in terms of, you know, superstar efficiency, it, Russell Westbrook just simply isn't there. So that's that's the problem for me. Is like how how do you have an above average defense if you have Cantor out there, right? And if you don't have Cantor out there, how do you have an above average efficiency offense? So I just, I, I struggle to think of even one lineup that they can put out there that is a playoff caliber lineup once you finish, uh, you know, a- equating the fact that you lost all this efficiency coming from Kevin Durant that Russell Westbrook won't be able to manufacture. And then on defense, you know, I, I don't know, you're starting Cantor now. Um, presumably, or maybe you're not, but I just, I, I, I don't believe in that. Oliver, do you want to weigh in on this?
4: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm on the OKC. Uh, and of them not making the playoffs at this point, I just don't think they're good enough. Like if you look at it on paper, Tr- Durant did so much on offense for this team. He's the most, if not the second most efficient player in the NBA and When you lose a player like that, that puts a huge weight on Russell Westbrook's shoulders that I don't think he's ready for. He's inefficient on a lot of parts of his game. Of course, we all know him as a great player for the intangibles that he possesses, but there's a lot of things to kind of uh, question about this team overall. I just don't think they're a playoff team. I I, I don't think they are. Could they sneak into the 8th seed or 7th seed? Of course, but I don't think they're there yet
0: all right, so the russell westbrook and and the kind of year he's going to have actually is a good segue to get to the next part of everyone is saying it, but do you agree the m v p winner will not come from golden state chris
3: uh yeah no i i this one's hard i I don't feel strongly one way or the other partially because if it was really a you know, it's called the most valuable player, but it's not, you know, it's hard to equate that. And I think that people have very disparate opinions on what valuable even is. I would hope that LeBron James gets that legacy MVP that Derrick Rose sort of took from him because the Derrick Rose narrative was better at the time. Um, But, you know, I I mean, there's a real possibility that Kevin Durant now that, you know, 75% of his shots aren't contested, there's a real possibility he'll go out there and be, you know, even more efficient than he already has been, which is, you know, one of the top two most uh, efficient players in the league. So uh, I, I mean, how do you say no to that? And then on the other hand, if you're taking the ball out of Draymond Green's hand and telling Steph Curry to man the offense more, what if Steph Curry puts up similar numbers, except, you know, has 12 or 13 assists instead of, you know, seven or eight. So, um, I I would say no, but that has less to do with um, that has less to do with the Warriors than it does to do with the voters and how I think they tend to think when it comes to this stuff. Jim,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I gotta agree with you. I just think that the nar- the narrative this year isn't going to allow for a Warriors player to to get the MVP. I've heard a lot of chatter about LeBron, but I just think that that LeBron's probably going to have to take some time during the middle of the season. With, gonna take him out of uh out of the running i mean to me the dark horse candidate is going to be chris paul talking about that that legacy mvp and uh, whether or not the the voters give it to him kind of as an homage to what he's done um in his uh nba career being arguably a, a top five uh, point guard who's never won a ring
0: coach nick
2: you know i i uh this is a really good question and i really you know i, I might have to go with lebron uh, take on that as far as MVP goes.
0: All right, Oliver.
4: I actually uh, I had Katie second in my MVP kind of rankings. I guess you could call it. Uh, ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated really talked me into this one. Uh, did a pretty good job at it too. I mean, if the Warriors realistically, if they win 67, 68, 69 games this season, which isn't out of the question or the realm of possibility, Kevin Durant's the number one player on this say the Cavs, they, they cruise through the regular season. Uh, LeBron has his regular numbers. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to think that Kevin Durant at 25-6-4, and four, if there's no one else available.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing for me is that the Russell Westbrook video game numbers are going to be bananas i mean when you start to get into efficiency and you start to talk about shooting percentage the interesting thing about the warriors players is i mean for as brilliant as steph curry was last year and the numbers that he put up from both field goal percentage three point percentage i i think they go up i mean he's going to get better opportunities and better shots because of the points you guys had brought up earlier in the podcast just in terms of you know how you handle the pick and roll and and pick and pop and such and then you know, same thing for Kevin Durant. Their shooting numbers, I, I think there's no way they don't go up. Um, I'm just curious about how the voters then examine a guy. If if we're looking at Westbrook as a guy that we've seen what he does when other players go down with injury, I mean, if he realistically puts up 28 points, nine rebounds, nine assists a game. I mean, I and I know that seems crazy, but a guy that's as motivated as he is and is going to get the shots that he will and is and as much of the ball as he will. I don't think that that's completely absurd. I think he's going to put up some ridiculous numbers this year, and and those can I, can numbers and out. Go ahead.
2: I want to revise my answer. Actually, now thinking about what you're saying, in, in that uh, you know, as far as Russ goes, like there's no matter what he does, if his team doesn't finish, you know, I, I would say it has to be like fourth. You have to be somewhat, you know, enough wins to be considered MVP. I, I would think. I don't think. I don't think we've really had that MVP who hasn't made the playoffs before, right? We talked about that in the past. And so um, so I think that maybe James Harden could be in that conversation for the exact same reason. It'd be, you know, as he might fill up the stat sheet, they might surprise and get to fourth, let's say. Uh, that might be enough to shift some sort of weird narrative that perhaps he got robbed last year from the All-NBA teams. You know, like he didn't make a one All-NBA team. And that was just like silly. He had a really good year. He got him in the playoffs for a you know, a tough season. And um, if he plays his cards right and he doesn't get his other coach fired and things go well, uh, oh, did I just – was that loud? Sorry. Um, you know, then I think he should be under consideration <laughs> for sure as long as the Rockets get enough wins.
0: And, which actually leads – and Oliver was chiming in, and I want to get to him on this – leads to the next, the next one that I was going to bring up, that James Harden's move to point guard is going to be awesome. A lot of people are talking about that. But do you agree? Oliver, why don't you start this one off?
3: Well, hey, actually, before that, can I say one more MVP candidate? Sure, hit us. Okay, so I, I think the Timberwolves are going to be a fifty-plus win team, and unfortunately, we don't have time to to talk about that. Probably, but his, Carl Anthony Towns per thirty-six minutes last year were twenty-one points, twelve rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal, a block, on you know a fifty-five percent effective field goal percentage, or maybe even close to 60. I don't know, something ridiculous. So that that was his per 36 numbers. Thibodeau going to use him and he's going to use him a lot. So now you're going to have an improved Carl Anthony Towns playing on a vastly improved Timberwolves team, putting up improved stats. And I think that, you know, like why, why not vote for Towns if he goes out there? And, uh, you know, I mean, what the – the general manager poll: 80% of GMs said that they wanted him to start off a uh, start off a squad. That makes him the most valuable player, right?
0: I'm with you. Excellent case.
3: All right, Harden. My bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oliver, hit us.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm on the Harden bandwagon. That's my number one pick for MVP. So I think this 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 whole point guard thing will work out tremendously. I love what the Rockets have done this offseason. I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again. Uh, his team is confident. I think his leadership qualities have changed. I think he's reanalyzed himself. I think this is going to be the perfect combination under Mike D'Antoni. Two offense, if not the best offense in the NBA. And uh, I think Harden could average 30-10-10, and 10, honestly. And if he does that, he have six seed. I don't think there's any question in my mind that he he wins the MVP award.
0: If he goes 30-10-10, we're not just talking about MVP. So I think you're pretty (laughs) safe to assume that. Chris, James Harden's move to point guard is going to be awesome. You agree? Uh,
3: Well, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, I think that on offense, the only difference is they're not wasting as much time giving it to James Harden. Um, You know, he gets to take the ball off the court and. They don't have to deal with uh, a whole bunch of nonsense, but I, I think the reason it's going to work is because what it means is that if you don't have to have a point guard out there, who's nominally running the offense, a guy like Ty Lawson was for them. Then if you just want to slide in James Harden defensively as a point guard, it means that you can put another wing defender out there. So I, I want to see some lineups that have a at the three KJ McDaniels at the two. I love KJ McDaniels and James Harden at the one. And if you have a uh, Capella and I don't know maybe Corey Brewer or something, uh, there's there's a few options there. Now you have a super switchy team that can uh, you know no, again nominally cover one through five at every position. Uh, James Harden actually has had some success defending power forwards because he's uh you know barrel chested guy. So yeah, I I think that it's going to work well. And part of the reason I'm high on the Rockets, too, is because I think that Dan Tony will figure out that that's how you optimize the Rockets defense is by, you know, saying we're going to switch everything and not rely on Nene to be Rudy Gobert when it comes to defense or something like that. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I, I I think that offensively, it's not that much of a huge change, but defensively, it gives the Rockets a lot more options. Tim? Uh, I,
1: I think it's funny that that Chris brought up James Harden being able to defend power forwards. It reminds me of when uh, James Harden was defending LeBron James back in back in the day in uh, in those uh, OKC playoff series. But I, I, I think that when it comes to a uh, point guard defense or somebody's defense, that's easier to hide a point guard uh, most of the time. That point guard defense is a bit overrated as it is. Um, I mean, look, I, I think James Harden has been the point guard basically this entire time, and he's just been slotted in at the shooting guard spot. He's really been the one running the offense. Uh, I, I mean, I think it'll be a really fun year. And, uh, you know, Loki, I mean, he could he could get that, that MVP nod, but I think so much of that's going to have to do with, with how the team positions themselves when it comes to the playoffs, and, you know, same thing for the, uh, the Russ
2: Westbrook nod.
0: Coach Nick, James Harden's move to point guard going to be awesome?
2: Um. I think it'll be awesome, like everyone has said on offense, and I, I kind of hope that they, they find him in other situations as well or not just sort of the typical point guard. Uh, there's a lot of options for him on the high post as well and in, in just existing in D'Antoni's offense, uh, which I think would be really exciting. So I think that, yeah, he's going to be awesome there. Um, you know, defensively, you know, we what's frustrating is that there, there's been tantalizing evidence. I know it's scant and, you know, almost non-existent, but we've seen him be passable – average maybe even make a play or two on defense in the past yeah. and so you know if if he can kind of do that like you said that they can put capella and ariza uh and those guys you know, beverly comes back from injury uh you know who could play you know alongside him even though he's the point guard. um you know i think that they could find they could figure something out there but again that, that's the hardest thing for for any nba coach the x's and o's are are you know knowable and it's but you just never can figure out which five to play with whom and that's when that's what you know d'antoni's challenge is probably going to end up being for the most part and parenthetically it definitely feels like most nba coaches do not study five-man lineups that much if at all and that's also strange and weird and that might be the the chief like analytics argument when like you know people people resist analytics it's like for some reason the five-man lineup seems to be ignored So. Get back to the the uh, James Harden thing. Uh, yeah, he should be awesome uh, on an offensive standpoint. And I would hope that, yes, he could get to be average on defense. And that would certainly be really good for the Rockets.
0: Coach Nick, when can we expect the, the B-ball, B-ball breakdown on is James Harden's defense really as bad as everyone says it is? Because you know that one's coming at some point this year.
2: You know, that's a gr- that is a really great one because, you know, someone beat me to the the, the bad version where they just string all his bad plays together. But, uh, <laughs> and then obviously I'm on the record saying Steph is an elite defender. So, uh, you know, I, I, that's a, gr- you know what? I, I will not take, you will have to get all the credit for the idea because I hadn't really thought about it. But, uh, you know, if there's a body of evidence, I certainly would think, you know, as early as possible in the season would be a good time to, to prove to people that he's out there playing some D.
0: I want to get into I wanted to get into predictions but it seems like NBA finals matchup we already we already have set we've talked about that for most of it I think everyone's in agreement that that we're talking Cavs and Warriors for that MVP we've talked about one thing we haven't though is is rookie of the year Chris who's your rookie of the year pick
3: Uh I I don't know. I maybe I maybe not the right person to start with on this one because I can only say things that I don't like about certain rookies. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll I, I guess I'll say uh, Buddy Heald, but just cede the floor to uh, the rest of you guys. Tim,
1: I mean, I think it's funny. I've, I've heard so much chatter about the Chris Dunn thing, and, and uh, look, I just I don't think that Tibbs is going to be playing Chris Dunn enough minutes to where he'll be. Warranted rookie of the year. I've heard the Joel Embiid argument, but I think his minutes are going to be limited. I mean, I gotta agree. I think that Buddy Heels just—he's in the best position, uh, really, to get that rookie of the year. The Pelicans—they—they don't have a lot of depth at shooting guard. He's—he's looked pretty good in preseason. Averaged 12 points, four rebounds, uh, 43% shooting. I just—I think that Buddy Heels is in the best position um, to make the best case for rookie of
2: the year. Coach Nick, Um, I'm—I'm glad. I was just trying to make sure that he's considered a rookie this year, and he is right. So he's in the running. I mean, as far as ability goes, it is Embiid. He sh- he is going to be, I think, the best rookie, no matter what. How he, you know, and, and whether or not they're going to limit his minutes is really going to be a bummer if that's going to be a thing where he just doesn't quite have enough uh, volume of stats to do that. But I don't know. I would hope that in a regular world, he's playing well. He feels good. Is the X-rays have proved that he's healed, and that he gets his you know, 28, 29 minutes a game, I think if he did that, then he would usually be able to score, you know, 15, get nine, probably block a couple of shots. Like he have a really good numbers at that rate. So I will hold out hope that Embiid gets enough minutes where he will make it pretty clear that he should win it.
3: Well, Over. you know, actually I'm I'm going to, uh, after we get off of this podcast here, I'm going to be calling up Keith Pompey who covers the 76ers and we're going uh for a state of the big man address and uh Embiid is of course who we're gonna talk about. And in doing my notes, their last preseason game, the 76ers, he put up 18 points and nine rebounds on like some absurd efficiency, but he did it in 24 minutes. So I think it's quite possible that even in limited minutes, his numbers just like per second that he's out there might be just too overwhelming to give it to someone else.
0: Interesting stat about Embiid, too. The first regular season game in which he has 10 field goal attempts will be the first time he's ever done that in his career. Obviously, it'll be the first time in the NBA. He never did that huh. when he was at Kansas. The most field goal attempts he ever had was was nine. Um, Oliver, uh, you want to weigh in on Rookie of the Year? Uh-oh. Uh oh. We might have finally <laughs> lost him, which I'm I incredibly. I, when he does finally show back up, I do want to ask him about what kind of Wi Fi he's using up in the sky because it's pretty remarkable that we've been able to conduct an entire podcast. Oh, hey, he's back. All right. Oh, he's back. Yes, he's back. Did you, did you go down like 3,000? Right. <laughs>
4: uh, yeah, I think so. I'm getting there.
1: Uh,
4: <laughs> now, I'm actually on the, uh, I don't know what you guys are just talking about, but I'm going to go on that rookie of the year kind of topic for a second. Joel that Embiid is, is my guy. I, I, I there's Any possibility that that he doesn't win the award unless he gets injured? They don't have Ben Simmons. They're looking at Joel Embiid for the future. He looks good. I mean, he just really looks polished. I'm surprised at how good he looks. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm honestly, he's he's basically averaging a double double in like <laughs> bench minutes. It's pretty incredible. So. I got to go with Joe Embiid, but Buddy Hild is definitely not a sleeper pick at all, just based on the production he's going to have and the minutes he's going to be able to get.
0: All right. And lastly, for you guys, the last topic I, I want to hit on is, is just a team that you think, either on the positive note or the negative note, that will be the, the biggest surprise, um, just shocking everyone in the league. And feel free to go out on a limb. Chris, why don't you start us off? The team just in the NBA this year that's going to be the biggest surprise?
3: <sighs> I'm sorry again, Indiana. I, I, it doesn't feel good telling people. I wish every team could go out there and win 73 wins. But for a lot of the same reasons that actually I don't think that the Thunder are going to be super great, is having a low-efficiency superstar, having that volume-score type guy is all right as long as you have you know the defense to back that up, to have that be all right. And efficient scorers around him, and in the past, you've had guys like David West to provide the efficiency, and like George Hill, you know, who is ultra underrated. And you know, as as uh, even though the conversation around point guard defense is, you know, that it's not ultra important, I think that George Hill was a big part of why Indiana's defense was elite for so long. Now he's gone. I don't, I I don't think they're going to have a great defense anymore. I, uh, I, Paul George will put up similar stats, but he'll do it in a system that just can't make it work for him. So I really don't think that the, uh, Indiana Pacers are a viable playoff team. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't revel in that. I just think that it's a, uh, sort of a mathematical reality. And, uh, it's what happens when you, um, you know, I don't know, Larry Bird, he's, a uh, He's been in basketball a lot longer than I have. Maybe he knows something that I don't.
0: <laughs> Tim, your biggest surprise? Uh, the
1: biggest surprise? I'm I'm going to go with the Wizards. I I just think that um you know last year they weren't they were not healthy. I think that they were a lot better after they brought in Marquise Morris. I think he's been really good for them in the preseason. Uh, you know I think they got a, a healthy John Wall. And reading reports, he's they're going to start increasing his minutes uh, as the season goes along. You know Bradley Beal can stay healthy. I just I I think that there's so much recency bias in the NBA, and and we all kind of forgot how good the the Wizards were just two seasons ago. And um, I'm
2: I'm expecting the Wizards to have a breakout year.
0: Coach
3: Nick,
2: that's kind of hilarious because I was going to put them in my biggest disappointment of the year (laughs) for the the Wizards. Go, you're much smarter than me with basketball, so I'll I'll take your opinion on it. You know, I don't know. I haven't put enough eyeballs on them in the preseason to see, like, what how the dynamic is between Wall and, and Beal and all those things. But, you know, you're right. If they're healthy, there should be something there. Uh, I mean, I kind of talk about the Jazz as far as who I'm, I'm like, irrationally exuberant on. And, by the way, Hayward injured his left hand. That's actually really good. That won't. That shouldn't affect his shooting as much. Um, so, you know, if not talk about surprise, I think the Jazz, although the, the weird thing is that the Timberwolves are probably supposed to We'll probably do what what I think the Jazz will do. (laughs) So now I don't know what I'm supposed to commit to, but uh, certainly as far as the positive surprise, uh, yeah, I'm going with either. I'm going with Jazz, and and, you know the Timberwolves as a as a one a. Oliver, I've got the Pelicans. I think they're going to make
4: the playoffs this year, and a lot of people are putting them at like you know 35 wins, maybe less than that. I I think uh, the Pelicans could make a sneaky little run in the playoffs if Anthony Davis is healthy. Alvin Gentry is a great coach. I love the Terrence Jones pickup. I love each one more. I just like all the underrated pieces they kind of uh, picked up.
0: Well, guys, this, this has been – so, I, this...
4: And I think that Drew Holiday will expect him to. I think uh, the Pelicans are in the running for the playoffs in the West
0: this this has been a blast it's it's been um a lot of fun and not only have i uh, gotten to know you guys who I, only coach nick i knew before today but uh, an incredibly new experience for me podcasting with someone who's been in an airplane that's remarkable <laughs> so thank you oliver for, uh, still, for here, guys. still
2: here still here trying <laughs> Uh,
0: does anyone, before, before um, we do our goodbyes, does does anyone want to go out on a limb and say that the Golden State Warriors will not win the NBA championship this year? Okay.
2: Um, <laughs> I guess not. Uh, sure, <laughs> sure.
0: So real quick, before, before the, this is the last thing, I, I promise. Um, Chris Axman, people can find you at Almighty Ballin'. Why don't you tell them about uh, what you're working on as far as the podcast goes?
3: Yeah, I'm the host of Almighty Ball and the Almighty Podcast and uh I'm without a doubt the worst host on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, but not because I'm not good, but because the other hosts are so great. You know, we're we're happy to be providing around the clock basketball podcast content on everything out there from fantasy hoops to the WNBA to uh, you know, coaching. We're we're gonna give Coach Nick a run for his money, maybe eventually. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> um but uh yeah, no, just one stay tuned,
0: Tim, about, uh, uh yeah
1: uh Tim Tompkins, you find me on Twitter at radio Tim NBA. I'm one of the hosts of the drive and Dish podcast. We've been going uh three years strong with uh with Kevin Rayviews and Justin kuzart. Um, we just finished up our conference previews, and uh, you can find us uh you know uh any anywhere uh iTunes. The Stitcher, uh, smart this, smart that. Drive and Dish podcast
2: and podcast dot com.
0: Coach Nick at B Breakdown. You want to tell him about that?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, we we do uh, you know video breakdowns of uh, the NBA games and players, and just get on the court and break down moves and uh, skills and drills as well. And then uh, the dot com is is just full of some of the best writing on the NBA you'll find on the internet. And, uh, and then certainly during the games, we are vining and live tweeting, uh, the crap out of these games and, uh, always a a fun time there.
0: And lastly, but of course not least, Oliver Maroney from outer space, uh, at B-Ball insiders. Oliver, what are you working on?
4: I've got a couple player interviews coming up here. Hopefully I'll touch down in Portland so I can get some, uh, Get some time with some players tonight, potentially. Um, and then, uh, yeah, really, just I do a lot of exclusive little like interviews and side pieces uh, at V Ball Insiders. Uh, you can follow them there. You can follow me on Twitter at Omaroni NBA.
0: And I'm Adam Steka. You can find me on Twitter at Naismith Lives. I host the Great Point podcast and we do long form interviews with a lot of interesting basketball minds from Rex Chapman and Don McLean to Sonny Vaccaro and Coach Nick. so uh, And hopefully all you guys will uh, join me at some point on the Great Point Podcast. I would love it. You guys were excellent. So thank you very much and uh, really appreciate uh, doing this. This was a lot of fun.
1: Hey, Adam, you did a wonderful job hosting, man.
0: Thank you, sir.
3: Yeah, great job. Well, I got to go scuba dive and do a podcast from under the ocean. So uh, I'm glad we're checking out.
0: Awesome. I'm signing off, guys. Thank you.
1: 18- plus.